This won't end well for Illinois. Here's a three. It ended well. McCourt for the win. In the air. It is up. And it is good. Fourth and 16. Pressure comes. And Matt Orbebe with the ball in the air. Makes the catch. Welcome to Oski Talk. I'm Drew Pastoric. I'll be taking you through the past week in fighting Illini athletics and recapping some of the stories you can see and read at thechampagneroom.com. Well, the roller coaster just keeps on moving, doesn't it? (laughs) Or maybe you could say it's uh, malfunctioning. I don't know. Illinois basketball, men's basketball, had a, a pretty good performance earlier in the week against Minnesota. And then Indiana... Not so much. Uh, Yeah, so it's like we have, it's like Midwestern weather, right? We have the, uh, we go up the hill, then down the hill, then we go through the loop-de-loops. We've gone through a loop right now, and we're stuck at the top upside down. (laughs) Wondering, is this ride going to get fixed? Uh, Yeah, lots to dive into regarding men's basketball, of course, women's hoops as well. And then, of course, at the end of the episode, I will spotlight the Illini of the week. Want to start with football? Big news this week that the law firm, Keith Randolph and Johnny Newton, both returning to Champaign. They announced that on January 16th. That was the last day to declare for the NFL draft. And Randolph and Newton, about an hour apart, making those announcements on social media. They will both be back in Champaign for 2023. Just want to go through the numbers real quick to show how valuable they were to the Illini defense. Randolph had 53 tackles this past season, 13 tackles for loss, four and a half sacks, and an interception. Newton finished third on the team with 62 tackles, 14 tackles for loss. That led the team. And then he also led the team in sacks with five and a half. And just for good measure, Newton had two fumble recoveries as well. So Illinois had 20, uh, sorry, 81 tackles for loss last year as a unit. And the law firm had one third of those by themselves. They combined for 27 of those 81. Also combined for 10 sacks, Illinois had 28 as a team. So bringing back Randolph and Newton, having them back for another year is tremendous. As Mahir, one of our football writers at the Champagne Room put it, the law firm is practicing once again. And you can't have a law firm without both partners, right? You got to have them both there. And Mahir also pointed this out that with Newton and Randolph both back that anchors the line it allows for the entire defense to breathe a little especially with the secondary looking a lot different kendall smith devin witherspoon sydney brown quan martin all of those guys are out so you needed some veteran presences 
and the defensive line and the secondary were the two, I think, strongest areas of Illinois' defense last year. So bringing them back is going to be terrific. We know Brett Bielema likes to have stout trench play. In the Big Ten, you certainly need to control the line of scrimmage on either side of the ball, and that's going to be a deep defensive line coming into 2023. When you look at Seth Coleman, who's sort of a hybrid linebacker D-end, he's coming back. Gabe Akis, a freshman All-American last season, he's going to be back. And then guys like Alec Bryant, Sed McConnell, T-Ra Edwards, all returning as well. Three new signees for 2023. Looks like the defensive line is in pretty good hands. And speaking of the defensive line, the Illini did receive a transfer commitment in the form of Denzel Daxon. Transfer from Ohio. Two years of eligibility left. He was a three-star in the class of 2019. Was not you know, a huge impact guy with the Bobcats. 20 games the past two seasons. 10 tackles, two TFLs. But he did have some high major attention when he was coming out of high school. Initially committed to Miami. Then, with the coaching change, he committed to Louisville before eventually flipping to Ohio. Um, Played with the Bobcats the past couple of seasons. He'll have two years of eligibility left. With the way this program has developed defensive players, would not shock me if he's a guy that could be important down the road. I don't know what his role will be next year based on the guys I just mentioned coming back, but it's just like uh, in baseball, you can't ever have too much pitching. I don't think you can ever have too many linemen on a football team, whether it's defensive line, offensive line, you need that depth. Someone's always going to get hurt. Someone's going to not play well. You're going to have to, to fill some gaps once in a while. So, Denzel Daxon officially committing to Illinois. Once again, two years of eligibility remaining. He'll add some depth in and maybe challenge some of those incumbents for a spot on the defensive line. I mentioned Seth Coleman a little bit ago. He also announced this past week that he is coming back. Another really key player in the middle. I, I mentioned before, you know, the defensive line and the secondary were very, very strong. And you had... A couple of guys really stand out at the linebacker spot. Isaac D'Arcangelo is one. Uh, He is out of eligibility. He's graduating. Seth Coleman was probably the other. 45 tackles, four and a half sacks, six pass breakups a year ago. Plez Honeywood and some others of us at the Champagne Room have talked about this. It's not just about recruiting new talent. It's not just about bringing in new players via the portal or you know the you know, prep ranks. You got to re-recruit your own guys too, and especially with the turnover that we've seen on the coaching staff, Ryan Walters going to Purdue, taking Kevin Kane with him. You know, some of those guys had really tight relationships with other coaches on the staff, and you know Brett Bielema did this when he first came in at the tail end of 2020 into 21. You know, he convinced a lot of those incumbent players to stick around 
They could have very easily said, deuces, I'm going somewhere else. They stayed with the program because they believed in what Brett Bielema was trying to do. Now, we saw that again last season, a couple of key players returning, and we're seeing more of it this year on both sides of the ball. Makes sense for a guy like Chase Brown or Devin Witherspoon. You know, it makes sense for those guys to turn pro. They're going to be drafted. But for those guys that might have been on the fringes, maybe another year would help them. We see a lot of guys leave early to pursue the the money and the, the NFL lifestyle, wanting to just further their football careers. And for many of those players, it does not work out the way they intend it to. So if you like being at school, if you have goals for the team that you want to attain, like a Big Ten West Division Championship, for example, or a Conference Championship, for example, why not stick around, play another year with your buddies, enjoy that time as a collegian? NFL's going to be there next year. NFL's going to be there next year. And if guys like Randolph and Newton have years in 23 like they had in 22, they're obviously going to get drafted and go somewhere and make millions of dollars on Sundays or Saturdays or Mondays or Thursdays or however often the NFL plays now. So big, big news for the defensive side of the football regarding Illinois heading into next season. And this was reported by Brett Burns of WCIA in Champaign. Brett Bielema's contract extension details had been released. Brett Bielema agreed to a new contract towards the end of 22, but didn't know all the particulars, and now we do. So in addition to that new salary of, of $6 million per year, there's some escalator clauses in that. It's basically a $150,000 per year extra with some performance incentives. He's also eligible for one-year extensions through 2033 if the Illini win at least six games per year. So could be just that regular six-year contract extension. Could be much, much longer. I guess it depends on the success level of Illinois. So good job on, on the administration and the DIA for getting that done. We're trying to keep Brett Bielema in place. No reason why the Illini can't win you know, six games. That should be the floor now. That should be the absolute bare minimum expectation moving forward is six wins, bowl games, etc. All right, let's jump into the men's basketball discussion. I mentioned the roller coaster earlier. It has certainly been an emotional ride all season long talked about this on last week's show too you just never know what you're gonna get with this team fighting a line i started 0-3 in the big 10 like oh my god it's off the track and then winning four straight like okay this is the team we've expected to see beating michigan state beating minnesota looks like things are are getting steadied again and this is what we had hoped for Uh, so let's just start with minnesota because that was a very impressive victory illinois 78 minnesota 60 
Uh, not a typical Illinois game in some respects. First half was pretty competitive, pretty back and forth. I think a lot of that, though, could be attributed to foul trouble from Illinois. I mean, you had Dane Danger, Terrence Shannon, Coleman Hawkins each pick up two fouls at various points in the first half. And Brad Underwood, as he is wont to do, sat all three of those players for extended periods. So we got a lot of Jaden Epps, a lot of Ty Rogers, a lot of Sincere Harris involved early. We saw Brandon Lieb involved quite early in this game. About nine minutes left in the first half, he comes in. And we like to have fun with that. You know, Brandon Lieb, certainly uh, one of those folk hero kind of players where they don't get a lot of court time. So when they do, we, we want to talk about it and, and highlight that. Um, generally, when Brandon Lieb's in the game, it's one of two things. It's either a blowout in either direction or he's in there for a small period of time to spell a different big man. Playing that role that Benjamin Bosman's Verdonk played last year specifically. So Brandon Lieb comes in and we're like, oh dear. <laughs> like, what's going to happen? Um, Illinois led by three at the half, but most of that was because they had this really strange patchwork lineup in the game. At one point, it was RJ Melendez, Ty Rogers, Matthew Meyer, Jaden Epps, and Brandon Lieb. They had those five on the floor at the same time. So defensively, that's not a bad lineup. You know, they, they can hold their own. But offensively, you're like, ooh, <laughs> this is suboptimal. This is not the lineup you want to trot out there. Um, unless you're playing in the CBI or something. It's not really <laughs> a lineup you'd want to trust for a long period of time. But they held their own. Illinois did still have the lead. Again, offensively, not spectacular. But it was a... Uh, they were able to kind of keep things in front of them. Second half, you bring in the starters again, and things were much, much better. Illinois rolled in the second half for the most part. Minnesota got a few quick buckets to take the lead, 36-35. Illini had a 12-0 run soon after that and really never looked back from there. Uh, so you know, they outscored Minnesota 43-28 to in the second half. Minnesota shot just 24% from the field after halftime. Uh, sorry, 28%. A little bit better, but still horrific. 28% in the final 20 minutes. And as Noah Cowell pointed out in his postgame recap at the Champagne Room, that second half was reminiscent of what we'd seen the prior three games. Terrific ball movement, intensity, energy, relentlessness. But I said it was, it was an uncharacteristic game in some respects because... Terrence Shannon Jr., not much of a factor, had just 11 points in the game, shot two for 12. Coleman Hawkins only had three points in the game, but other guys picked up the slack. 
Meyer had 19. Danger had 11. Jaden Epps had 10. 54 points in the paint total for Illinois. And they were just killing Minnesota on the glass. 50 to 29, the rebounding edge for Illinois on Monday night. That was just uh, a really stout performance. And I get it, Minnesota's not not great. They're rebuilding, they're retooling, but that's you know, those are the games you you need to win. You should be beating teams of that caliber like that. You know, Minnesota's got some talent. Dawson Garcia, Talon Cooper, you know, they have some guys. They just they they haven't been able to put it together yet. But um you know, <laughs> I want to go back to Lieb for a second. We uh, we talked more about Brandon Lieb in this game than he probably has been talked about his entire three years in Champaign. BTN was talking about him. You know, he got a bucket, and we just went crazy. Like Champagne Room was tweeting out Brandon Lieb puns left and right. And I said he's a folk hero, but again. BTN brought this up during the game. Like, all joking aside, you need a game like that once in a while where Brandon Lieb comes in or BBV um, or Jermaine Hamlin would have a game like this every once in a while where you would you'd put somebody in in a pinch, not normally when you would see them, and can you give us three minutes, four minutes? You know, Illinois did this a lot. Brad did this a lot the last couple of years with Kofi. You know, he would take him out 30 seconds or a minute before a media timeout just to get him a breather, just to reduce some wear and tear. They'd bring in, you know, Omar Payne or BBV or Lieb in some cases just to absorb some minutes, maybe absorb some contacts, just to to relieve a little bit. And Robbie Hummel brought this up. Trent Meacham brought this up on the the BTN broadcast. Like, you never know when you're going to need someone like that to come in, even if it's for five minutes, six minutes, seven minutes. And I thought Lieb did a pretty good job. Had four points, a couple of rebounds, had a blocked shot. And you have to know what you have with someone like that at some point. So why not throw them in there? Because you're going to be playing Purdue and Michigan – Teams with pretty good big guys. Maybe Danger has a bad game or he's in foul trouble. Or Hawkins has a bad game, is in foul trouble. You got to see what you have, right? And I thought Brandon Lieb stepped in, did some really good stuff. And I don't know why I never made this connection before, but, you know, it's Brandon with a B and his last name is Lieb. How do we not have B Liebers? Amongst the Illinois faithful. How do we not have like Belieber's signs from Orange Crush? <laughs> if they have done that, I hadn't seen them. But we, we need to start that movement. As, uh, you know, that's something you can talk about in a blowout game. Because it was fun. It was entertaining. It was kind of a, a stress-free game, at least in the second half. So Illinois won their fourth in a row. And you're feeling good. You know, very important game against Indiana. We'll talk about the rivalry stuff in just a minute, but Illinois was riding high, home game against Indiana, and it just cratered. Not a positive showing Thursday night at all. 
Hoosiers win 80 to 65, and it really wasn't that close. Um, a very frustrating start, which later would continue. A lot of missed layups, a lot of missed free throws. My God, the free throws. Uh, Illinois in general, 12 of 31 shooting in the first half, 5 of 10 from the free throw line. It would actually get worse. Also, seven turnovers in the first half. This was the, the TJD game, the Trace Jackson Davis game. He put on a show, as did Jordan Geronimo in the first half. Uh, Jackson Davis and Jordan Geronimo combined for 26 points on 12 of 12 shooting in the first half. Hoosiers were getting whatever they wanted inside. Whatever they wanted to do. Specifically TJD. More on that in a bit. Um, Illinois did show some life at the end of the first half. They cut a 19-point deficit down to 10. Hoosiers led 43-33 at the half. So you're thinking, okay... Like, this is what we needed to see. They had some energy up. They were they were pushing it a little bit more. Like, get it to 10, second half, we'll see. Looked like towards the end of the first half that Illinois was going to Texas, the Hoosiers. That, you know, they had that rally. They said so they cut that lead down from 19 to 10. Indiana was kind of on their heels a little bit. You thought maybe Illinois had some momentum heading into the locker room and could maybe spark a comeback. But Illinois could not get any closer than 10. They might have gotten it to 9 or 8 at one point, um, but Indiana kept the Illini at arm's length for pretty much the entire second half. At one point, Hoosiers had built that lead back up to 21. But again, there was another little flurry of hope. IU turned it over, I think, three straight possessions. Illinois had cut the lead down to 12 with about eight minutes to go. And then Trey Galloway, of all people, hit back-to-back baskets. Lead goes back up to 16 around the under-eight timeout. And that was kind of the last gasp for Illinois. Trace Jackson Davis, man, finished with 35. Also had nine rebounds, but 35 points on 15 of 19 from the floor. He was just going right to the rack, and Illinois just could not stop him. No real adjustments made at all with the game plan, which was very shocking to me. Just uh, really surprising. And we've, we've joked about Indiana as a group that, you know, they were very overrated at the start of the year. And to be fair, the way they had played leading up to this game would warrant that argument that they were not as good as the media seemed to think they were. Indiana hadn't won a road game since November 18th. Zero road wins in two months. They beat Xavier in the uh, the Gavit games in Cincinnati. That was it. They had not won a road game since then. That was like their third or fourth game of the season. So they had not been playing well. Penn State just demolished them. Rutgers had beaten them pretty badly. Like they were not playing very well. And Trace Jackson Davis just, I guess, said, damn it, 
I'm preseason Big Ten Player of the Year. I'm going to show you why. And he did. Uh, so he got 35 points, but the 15 of 19 from the field is what was really staggering about that. I mean, he was making it look easy. You know, sometimes guys will have 30 or 35 points, but it'll take them 25 shots, 27 shots, 30 shots to do it. This was not that. This was incredibly efficient. I think he started either 9 for 9 or 10 for 10. Some of those shots were contested and just went in. But, I mean, he was getting like a free pass to the lane almost every time. I mean, it was, it was really bad. Indiana had 68 possessions for the game, 26 layup or dunk attempts on those 68 possessions. They were ruling the paint. Illinois had 54 paint points against the Golden Gophers. Hoosiers had 54 paint points against Illinois. Yeah, just horrible. Illinois shot 39% from the field and from the free throw line. 39%! And IU shot 62% from the field for the game. Again, a lot of that, that's Trace Jackson Davis. I mean, 15 out of 20 is 75%. And yet, despite that, a comeback was available. It was there. Indiana, as I said, late in the first half, early in the second half, they left the door open. And Illinois slammed the door on itself. Pure and simple. Missed layups, missed free throws. Illinois got 23 free throws in the game and made nine of them. So you have 14 missed free throws and 13 missed layups. Brad Underwood said it after the game. I don't care who you play. You're not going to win when you do that. And again, Noah Cowell in his wrap-up piece at thechampagneroom.com pointed it out pretty bluntly that Illinois didn't execute defensively. Shannon had a decent game on offense, but no one else could get anything to fall. Matthew Meyer, scoreless in the game. He'd been one of Illinois' hottest offensive players, and he got a goose egg. Now, uh, Brad Underwood did say that Meyer was ill. He wasn't feeling right, so that probably had something to do with it. Um, But just a, a really bad night. Defense was atrocious. And I guess that's what's kind of frustrating, is that Brad Underwood didn't really seem to make any adjustments. Plez Honeywood... Posted this on the Champagne Room earlier in the week that it was a debacle. That was kind of the most accurate way to describe what happened. Indiana shooting 62% from the field. TJD getting 15 of 19 buckets to go in. You know, Plez points out, you know, the quicker Brad Underwood and the Illini can move on from this loss, the better. This type of game is... As he put it, unbecoming of a conference title contender and a possible drop-dead flaw. And he's 100% correct. And I've been a Brad Underwood defender on this show, on social media. I've, I've been very supportive of Brad Underwood. When other fans want to run him out of town or call him out on stuff, I've been very, very praiseworthy of Brad Underwood most of the time. But you have to criticize him for this. You have to. I I don't know how to explain it. There was really no attempt to double-team 
Trace Jackson Davis, no real switching the approach. Uh, we were discussing this amongst ourselves at the Champagne Room. Like, if Terrence, or if uh, Trace Jackson Davis just scores his average, if he just puts up his normal clip, like 17, 18, 19 points, Illinois wins the game. They're right there to win that game. If Illinois converts half of their layups or free throws, said you missed 14 free throws. It's not fair to expect you make all of those. Let's say they make five more free throws. So you have five additional points. So now it's a 10-point deficit. Out of those 13 layups, you make six of those. That's 12 points. Again, the, the comeback was there. This was an ugly game for sure. Not saying, you know, Illinois played well because they mostly did not. But this game was more about the defense. Like, you have to make adjustments. And again, I have defended Brad Underwood almost to the death. I'm like, <laughs> like I'm not carrying his water, but I feel like a lot of the criticism was too harsh. But not after this, like not after Indiana. You have to point out that there was some glaring tactical errors in this game. Plain and simple. And if you double team him and he hits his shots, like good for him. You just applaud him and say, all right, we tried something that didn't work. It looked like Illinois didn't try anything differently at all. TJD's just going unimpeded to the rim. I'd have to go back and watch the game, but but I don't recall Jackson Davis taking any shots outside of the free throw line. He took his free throws, and then everything else was from 15 feet in. You got to do something. You got to throw something else at him. Dane Danger was getting tortured in that game, just tormented. He couldn't make any stops. The whole defense just looked lost. It wasn't just TJD. Like I said, 54 points in the paint. Trey Galloway is getting put back layups. Jalen Hood Shafino was scoring at will in the first half. Geronimo was six out of six in the first half. And Brad Underwood said something about that in the postgame too. Like, I'm not worried about Jackson Davis getting 35. I'm worried about Geronimo getting 13 when he averages six. And that's true, but you have to focus on Jackson Davis. I understand the sentiment there. It's one of those things like, okay, LeBron's going to get his. Steph's going to get his. Kobe's going to get his. Jordan's going to get his. If we can kind of seal off everybody else, we feel good. So I, I understand the, the logic there, but, I mean, come on. TJD just did whatever he wanted to do. Indiana as a group did as well, but Jackson Davis specifically. It's unfortunate. You know, Illinois was playing really well, so now they're back down to 4-4 four and four in the Big Ten. Um, <laughs> Jason Benetti, who I love, one of the best play-by-play guys in the business. He was working the game for FS1 along with Stephen Bardo, and he put it very appropriately that the middle of the Big Ten is well-populated. <laughs> and Illinois certainly fits in that mold. Illinois could finish right in the middle of that pack with, you know, 11 and 9, 10 and 10, 9 and 11, and still be, 
you know, a fringe tournament team because of those wins against Texas and UCLA. That's going to inflate their resume. But you can correct this. If you beat Ohio State, then you're back up to five and four. Um, it looks like, you know, Purdue, that's going to be an obvious win for the Boilermakers. If we're just looking at Zach Eady's seven feet four, seven feet five, eight foot three, whatever he is, he's just dominating in the paint. So you feel like he's going to have a, a really fun time against Illinois. And then Illini still have to go to Bloomington for a rematch. You got Penn State one more time. Penn State handed it to you at the end of December. That's when this whole spiral kind of began. But you have Northwestern. You have Nebraska again. There are opportunities to get this back together. Uh, But it's uh, disheartening, especially with what's happened the past couple weeks with Illinois winning four in a row. Wanted to see a a better performance. Uh, Now I want to go to the, the rivalry piece of this. I didn't realize this was going to be such a hot topic, like a, a hot take. I just kind of assumed that Indiana and Illinois had a rivalry. I mean, they've been playing for 120 freaking years. Indiana doesn't seem to think it's a rivalry. And I guess Purdue is a more natural rival. They hate Purdue more than they hate Illinois. So I guess that's true. Um, to say it's not a rivalry, though is just kind of silly. Like, it's it's obviously a rivalry. And, yeah, maybe Illinois fans, maybe we think of it as more of a rivalry than they do. That's fair. But I think it depends on where you're at. Like, I'm from the Quad Cities, so to me, Iowa is a huge rival. I, mean, I grew up right on the border. I know more Iowa fans than Illinois fans, and they all live in Illinois. So yeah, my dad, that is the team Illinois has to beat every year. Football, basketball, volleyball, <laughs> whatever. You name it. If, if Illinois beats Iowa, my dad is a happy guy. So there's that, that bit of healthy competition there between those two fan bases on that side of the river. But if you live in Springfield or Danville or thereabouts... Maybe Iowa ain't as big of a deal. Maybe if you're in Rockford or DeKalb or somewhere like that, you might care more about beating Wisconsin. They might be more of a true rival. So, yeah, I I get Illinois kind of stuck in the middle as far as not having a pure rival, but there's definitely some bad blood there. I guess it's more on the Illinois side. But... Can we talk about Indiana fans real quick? Now, they, they've, they've got some bragging rights over us. Hate to use that term, but you know they can hold this over. Illinois, like, hey, we stomped you at your place. But can we stop pretending like Indiana is still a blue blood program? And so I think that's where my annoyance comes. I went to school in Indianapolis. So I got firsthand, like, all these IU people. And there, were, there was a smattering of Illinois fans because Indy's not too far from Champaign. And, you know, alumni and whatnot. There, there's, there's a good amount. There's a decent contingent there. But, oh, my God. Oh, just drowning in crimson and cream during my college days. Oh, 
just want to slam my head in a car door just thinking about that. And mind you, this is when my freshman year of high school or of college was 2004. So 04, 05, I'm a freshman in college. I'm in Indianapolis and Illinois is, you know, going 37 and two playing for a natty. And, you know, the Eric Gordon stuff happened. That was, I think, 07, 08, somewhere around there. Like that stuck in my craw. Indiana fans wouldn't shut up about that either. So yeah, for me, it's definitely a rivalry. I care about it a lot. I guess it's the same reason that we kind of hate Nebraska football. It's like, you think you're important, but you're really not anymore. So until that happens, just shut up. Like Illinois, I don't know any Illinois fans that are pretending the Fighting Illini are some elite program and that they're on this pedestal atop college basketball. I don't know any Illinois fans that think that. But Indiana fans, holy shit, man. I think that's the main reason I wanted Illinois to win that game was just for the reality check. Like, I was reading Twitter and you know, all these IU fans were popping off about, uh, yeah, how does it feel not doing anything in the tournament for 20 years? How does it feel? I'm like, what the hell has your program done in the last 20 years? <laughs> like, you made the national title game in what, 02? What have you done other than be number one in the rankings a couple of times? Like, what's, what's Indiana done? Name me a thing that separates Indiana from Illinois. Illinois has won more games than you've won in the last 20 years. Even with, like, seven pretty shitty seasons <laughs> in that time span, they've still been overall a better team than Indiana. It's the pretension that bothers me. You beat Illinois head-to-head, you can have that. We'll hang our heads in shame as fans, acknowledge that IU was the better team on that particular evening. That's fine. I'm not talking about one game. But let's... You're not Kansas. You're not Kentucky. You're not Duke or Carolina. You're not in that same sentence. You probably never will be again. You're talking about... National titles, your last national championship was 1987. I was a year and a half old. So let's not pretend that you're making the Final Four every damn season. That's all I'm saying. And the Illini women's basketball team also unable to knock off Indiana earlier in the week. Some Hoosier hardship on the hardwood (laughs) this week. Illinois dropping... That contest to IU 83-72 at State Farm Center. So they played Wednesday. The men played Thursday. That would have been Illinois' first win over a top-five team since November 27th of 2014. Remember a couple weeks ago we said November 27th. That was a, a, a date to keep in mind. November 27th of 2000 was the last time The Fighting Illini women were ranked. And then, coincidentally, that's the same day in 2014 that the Illini last beat a top-five team. Remember, they did beat Iowa on New Year's Day in Champaign, but Iowa was number 12 at the time. So, not quite the same, though still uh, a very impressive win. Really, the, the story was the middle 
of the game. Illinois won quarters one and four, but were outscored 49 to 30 in the second and third quarters combined. Illini scored just 10 points in the second quarter. Genesis Bryant had 18 points. Makaira Cook finished with 14, but just five out of 18 shooting. She's cooled off a little bit since her torrid start at the beginning of the year. But Kendall Bostick did bounce back after a struggling against Minnesota last weekend. Got another double-double. 17 points, 11 rebounds. The big thing, the big notable stat in the IU game was Illinois had zero bench points. Now, to be fair, Shauna Green does not have a huge bench to begin with. Normally, you see her her playing eight or nine, and that's it. She doesn't go much deeper than that. Nonetheless, zero bench points. So all 72 came from the starting five. Team's been struggling from the three-point line. Early in the season, even like a couple weeks ago, Illinois was the number one three-point shooting team in the conference, and they have struggled from the perimeter of late, not hitting those shots with the same regularity that they've had before. Uh, Shauna Green, after the game, though, commended her team, said they fought hard, appreciated the effort, and said what we've been trying to point out for weeks is that this team's not really been in these situations very often. So when it's your first time going through these things, you can have some struggles. You might not know how to finish. You might not know how to respond to these challenges. Now, again, Illinois, after that loss, was 15-4 and and 5-3 and in the Big Ten. So let's not go crazy. It's not some catastrophic result but she's right they haven't gone through these things together and you learn more from losing typically than you do from winning so you hope that it's a good experience that you can grow from and there's still plenty of ball left and we saw illinois take the court in evanston sunday afternoon playing the northwestern wildcats a rematch of what wound up being a pretty tight game in Champaign on January 5th. Illinois had won that contest 85-79, and it was another intriguing game. The Wildcats, one of the bottom-tier teams in the Big Ten, but they gave Illinois all they could handle. That was a a back-and-forth game. Not a lot of separation there. Illinois pulls out the W, 67-64. They trailed 31-30 at the half. So uh, nice job by the Illini women of sticking with it, You know, having some grit, some toughness. It's not going to be an easy road. Things are definitely trending upward for Illinois, now 16-4, 6-3 in the B1G. Kendall Bostick, another double-double, so... A pair of double-doubles this week for her. 16 points, 13 rebounds, and again, extremely efficient down low. 8 of 10 shooting for Kendall Bostick. Genesis Bryant looked like she was going to have that I.O. moment there. She hits a 3 with about 40 seconds left. Gives Illinois a 5-point lead. Northwestern 
got some free throws and cut the lead down to one after that. And then Makaira Cook sealed the deal with a couple of late foul shots to give Illinois the win. Once again, 16-4, and four, now 6-3 and three in the Big Ten. Nice recovery from that disappointing loss to Indiana. Illini get swept by the Hoosiers, but they sweep Northwestern. And talked about this with Alex Orr last week on the show that Makaira Cook has been struggling of late. She's she's not scoring like we'd seen her score. She's not been as effective. I think a lot of teams are trying to shut her down. But Illinois has demonstrated the ability to have other players step up. You know, Kendall Bostic, great example. Genesis Bryant, a great example. Bryn Shoop Hill in the Minnesota game had, I think, 13 and 9. So other players have stepped in in times of trouble to keep Illinois afloat, and you're going to need that. Even though Shauna Green does not deploy a lot of players off the bench, you know, I said usually it's 7, 8, maybe nine that you'll see on the court throughout a game. But that starting five is very solid. They can all attack. They can all score. And they pass the ball really well. The Illini move the ball really well. And that frees up other players to get shots and and other opportunities. So love what the women continue to do. So they came into that Indiana game ranked 21st but again you lose to a top five team probably not going to affect your ranking too much and then you come back with a victory in your next game so fully expect Shauna Green and the women to be ranked heading into the start of next week as well it is frustrating though because the team we expected to have a bunch of ups and downs was the women's team right Again, rebuild, first year under a new head coach, a lot of new faces, not familiar with each other necessarily. We expected them to have the struggles and those growing pains, and they really haven't. They've just kind of kept it moving throughout the season, and it's the men that we're looking at every game like, oh, they've got to figure it out. No, they don't. Yes, they do. No, they don't. This team could go to the Final Four. This team might not make the NCAAs. <laughs> uh, at least one team is reliable and steady, and we can have confidence in the direction of the program, at least for this season. Kudos again to Shauna Green and Illinois women's basketball for that. Okay, just about time to close out the show. Before I do, got to acknowledge the Illini of the week. And just like... Last week's episode, I'm going to put a spotlight on the Illini wrestling team. The orange and blue splits Big Ten action this weekend, losing to Northwestern, but defeating Maryland. A couple of specific standouts from the wrestling team. Lucas Bird, he is the 10th ranked wrestler at 133 pounds. Danny Puccino, number 14 at 141 Edmund Ruth, ranked number 10 at 174 pounds. Dylan Connell, number 26 at 184. And Zach Braunagel, number 10 at 197 pounds. They each won 
both of their matches. So they swept the competition this weekend against the Wildcats and the Terrapins. But most notably, Edmund Ruth at 174 pounds, winning his 20th match in a row. 20 straight, dating back to last season. Edmund Ruth, whose brother Ed was a tremendous wrestler at Penn State. He's currently an assistant for Mike Poeta here in Champaign. Ruth won via technical fall against Northwestern, getting five points for the Illini, and then won by decision against Maryland on Sunday afternoon. So a lot of Illini doing well on the mats, but Edmund Ruth in particular winning his 19th and 20th consecutive matches this weekend. He is our Illini of the week. That's going to do it for Oski Talk. Thank you for listening. As always, you can catch up on previous episodes at thechampagneroom.com. Click the podcast link or download and subscribe for free wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget about our social media feeds as well. You can follow The Champagne Room on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. We've got plenty of Illini content for you, especially if basketball wins and loses every other game. We're just going to be quibbling about Brad Underwood and free throws and how many players are going to leave the program. We'll, just, we'll have plenty of stuff to, to discuss. <laughs> Hopefully the Illini can get back on track. Hopefully the uh, Illini women keep winning. And hopefully there's lots of good things. It's more fun that way. More fun when there's good stuff to talk about. More comments on the message boards when there's bad things, but (laughs) more fun for us to talk about when there's good things, for sure. I'll be back with you to do it all again next week. Until then, I'm Drew Pastoric, ILL.